Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about agency. Now, it's an unusual word for business. And I'm not talking about hiring an agency as in an advertising agency. For our purposes today, agency is really that ability for an individual to act independently and make their own choices. Now, this turns out to be a very important concept that is central to our ability to manage uncertainty, to ability to adapt, and probably to our ability to inspire other people. So the focus today is, what is this thing called agency? How does it work? Why does it matter for uncertain times? And most importantly, how do you do more of it? And that's what we're going to talk about. My guest today is Paul Knapper. Paul's a leading psychology expert and executive coach. And after having a successful career on Wall Street, he founded Performance Psychology, which is a Boston-based management psychological consultancy since 1998. I love that performance psychology. What a great name for business. Today, he helps leaders and senior teams at Fortune 500 companies in financial firms, nonprofits, universities, startups, I think just about everything you can name, increase their effectiveness by strengthening their agency. And in this time of pandemic, he's been particularly keen on advising global organizations on how to stay grounded, healthy, and profitable should also add, Paul is a co-author of a fabulous book called The Power of Agency. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Wanda. I'm delighted to be here this afternoon. So am I glad to have you. You know, my favorite opening question is, why does this matter? This thing called agency, what's the question you've been trying to address, and how do you get around to agency as a result of that? Well, that's a, that's a great question. It's a big question. Um, first of all, the concept of agency, people have probably been seeing that more in the news recently, uh, been hearing about it. Um, and that's for a very particular reason, because it is our human agency that we call upon when we need to adapt, when we need to adapt to a new set of circumstances, to uh, whatever kind of obstacle uh, life throws our way. Um, now, agency as a concept has been something debated for uh, many, many decades um, within the field of philosophy, psychology, and sociology. There's a robust literature on, on the concept. It's never really made it down to the ground level um, where people can actually um, act on it and, and work on developing more of it, um, but it, it, it's a... Uh, it's a very robust concept, and it essentially is, is how we marshal all of our resources, our you know internal resources, and bring those resources to bear on the situations we face in life, and then make choices based on um, those resources we have, and then and then lastly put those choices into action. So agency is really fundamentally, most simply, our capacity to make choices or decisions, and then put those choices into action. Okay. So make choices and then take some action. I'm going to back up though, before I dive too deep into that one, why do you care about agency? What got you started thinking about this one? Well, as, as a psychologist, some, someone who has studied human behavior 
for several decades now, uh, and particularly in the business world, um, it's always intrigued me how people make decisions, how people individually make decisions, how teams of people make decisions, um, how those decisions really um, carry forward an enterprise and allow a company to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that has, has been fundamentally a concern of mine for a long time. Um, and, you know, it came about really, as I noticed, probably started noticing this five years, maybe, maybe, maybe even 10 years ago, but at least five to eight years ago, where people, I saw people much more stressed. I work with generally high-functioning individuals, people who succeed, um, you know, uh, who are generally at the top of their game. And I started seeing people struggling much, much more, just having more self-doubt, feeling less confident, um, you know, feeling kind of knocked off their game more, more easily. I started under, to understand, wanted to understand what was driving that and what, and what, what really was the effect. And what I came to was that, you know, this idea that people's agency has been affected by some of the, 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 the rapid acceleration in change that we've all experienced over, really it's been over the last 30 years or, or more. Um, and so that has knocked a lot of people off their game. They can't keep up. Um, they're experiencing something we call cognitive overload. Um, and so anyway, it's a long-winded answer to your question, but I really wanted, I really wanted to get, try to get underneath that and try to understand why some of my clients were doing so well and seemingly thriving you know, with, with all these demands coming at them and others were really struggling and trying to understand what were the key differentiators? Why were some people having a better time of it? Why were other people struggling? And so this project grew out of that question. Um, and, you know, of course in the pandemic, it's just been like, uh, you know, <laughs> coming out of the frying pan right into the fire in terms of, you know, the need to adapt. So, so it's been, so I'm glad I did the work when I did. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who's listening to this and is feeling that you're not sure you can keep up, you're not sure you can stay on the edge of your game, you're feeling a little bit more like an imposter every day in some form or another, I think the short answer is you're in really good company. There are a lot of people out there feeling the same thing. All right. Okay. I have some personal interest in this whole thing of agency, but we'll come to that one later. So give me an example of what agency looks like. You said it's about making choices and then being able to take actions on those choices. So give me a concrete example. What does that look like? Well, there, there's simple, you know, examples of people just in, in the moment exercising agency. Um, And then there's, what agency looks like across the lifespan, right? In terms of the arc of someone's life and okay. the extent to which they've developed and used their personal agency to, to create a life. I'll give you the, the, first, the first one, you know, a very simple example. Um, you know, we live in a time of great, uh, uh, where, where information is quite plentiful. It's coming at us from all directions. I've noticed that people who, who have, higher levels of agency are better at control. They, they, they limit it at the front end. They don't, they don't allow too much information in. They use information rather than allowing information to use them. And so, you know, an example of agency is someone who simply understands that principle, who puts that into, into uh, effect in, in their lives. 
And uh, the bottom line is with, with, with people, you know, in terms of that one simple thing, um, they keep their mind um, less uh, cluttered um, and um, more, it's, it's, it's more uh, open to taking in the kind of information they need when they need it. Uh, kind of a lifetime example of it. I'll, I'll cite you an example from the book where a woman that I worked with, a coaching client uh, from a few years back, um, she found herself at the age of 21, uh, a, a, a young uh, single mother um, with about $5 in her pocket, um, living um, several thousand miles away from where she had grown up um, and, and trying to raise her son uh, on her own and having no, no college education, um, not a lot to fall back on. And, um, and she somehow managed through the choices she made over the next you know, 20 years to end up working as a director of process improvement for a major Fortune 200 size company, um, and you know raising her son successfully, um, and and becoming a pillar in her community, and giving back you know all in all kinds of ways. So in any case, that that's an example of agency over the the course of a lifespan. And you know I give that short shrift. I can't go into all the details of her story, which are remarkable. The kinds of things she overcame and the choices she made. Um, but so there's examples of agency. And let me just say one last thing and then I'll allow you to ask, ask the, the wonderful questions you ask. We as humans are really interested in agency because it's so fundamental to who we are. And so we watch movies that generally are about a human being exercising agency. Most, most of the stories we see on the big screen are of, 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 a, of a human being engaged in some kind of often unusual set of circumstances and somehow managing to adapt and, and, and succeed in, in confronting a major obstacle. And so this is something we think about a lot and we all wrestle with. And so in writing the book, I just wanted to sort of bring that out, bring that to light and, and have people understand um, how they can develop more of it. So you're talking in some ways, which is where my interest in agency comes from, you're talking about the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's work in ways and the kind of classic tale arc that many of our stories, our movies, our stories, our books, even talking about explorers, they all take the same kind of um, journey in that somebody goes out for a mission, for a purpose, for whatever, there's a leaving and then they encounter obstacles, stuff goes wrong, they find mentors, they find, they find a way somewhere along the line, and then they return home with some secrets. That's an overly simplification of Campbell's um, <laughs> exquisite work, forgive me for that one. But it's that sense of agency that allows them, A, to go out, but then B, to make some choices and then to take some actions and see the consequences of those choices and keep moving step by step forward until they return home with whatever goods it is that they're bringing back home. Wisdom or goods, I should say. Is that what you were, have I done too badly of a job, Paul? No, that's a nice way to put it. I think he, he does write about that idea. Um, of, of essentially how we rise above and right. in writing you know our book we wanted to you know as psychologists dig deeply into the details there and pull that apart unpack that 
you know, if you will, and and understand what are the component pieces that go into how do you, how do you do that? How do these people seemingly do that? Why do some people do a little bit better at it than others? Um, what are the key differentiators? Uh, because it's so important. And um, so to bring it really from the, the place of this mythical thing, right, that of course we all aspire to, but to make it into something that's actually achievable, practically achievable for every for, for everybody. Right, right. My, and I'm just going to tie this together and then we're going to go into uh, get out of the theoretical frame and into the more practical frame about it. But my interest in this topic comes about from Dan Adams' work, Stories of Life, um, where he's talking about the stories we tell about ourselves and about the life we've lived. And that work is hugely important for understanding how you lead. Sort of what are the stories you tell yourself about what you should do, how you should do it, where you should do it, and so on in our own um myth, if you will, story arc we carry in ourselves about what it means to lead. I think it's an important topic for leaders to take a look at. And agency is a piece of that. And what forms that sense of agency, I think, is really important. But more practical, getting back on the practical ground here, if we look at people who have great resiliency, suffer you know, negative consequences, unbelievable things, and we look at what really helps them get through that resiliency, that uncertainty, one of the core components is this sense of agency. They take mm-hmm. a step, they see the result of that, they take another decision, they see the result of it, and they move forward. So, Paul, how now, how do we do, what are the components that make up agency? And how do I get more of this stuff? All in well, one it's, it's a really important question. And, you know, what what we learned from our study is that um, for when we are in better balance as human beings, we make better choices. We make better decisions. That, that is to say that when we are physically and mentally more grounded and balanced, we function more optimally mm-hmm. and, and our agency improves. When we are are stressed and stretched and um, worried and anxious and um, and you know overtired and uh, poorly uh, fed, uh, you know our capacity to access our agency declines. So there's some ba- just some fundamental things about you know how we as humans. How, how we function, how our, our body functions as a system. And this is the thing that's interesting because, you know, modern life is, is very much a mental game, right? We, we, the cognitive demands we all face are, 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 are fairly intense and, and growing every day. So we're, we're all aware of that. We're all aware of this idea we need to be informed. We need to be um, always thinking, um, but we're not always aware of, of how do we, what do we need to do to be thinking at our best? So, um, so there are many things that, it's a long-winded way of saying there's many things that need to be true in order for us to have full access to our agency. And we've broken things down into uh, seven uh, key principles. The first three are behavioral, things you, you can do behaviorally, you know, in terms of how you behave. And then the, 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 the second set are we call cognitive principles, which have to do with how you think 
and how you process your emotions um, and how you learn. So, you know, those are the key, the, the sort of key components to how you build agency. Um, you know, and when you sort of put those things together in concert, you know, when you have a healthy level of those seven components, you, ha- you will have a higher level of personal agency, um, which, which is, again, what allows you to adapt to the world around you. All right. So tell us what those seven are. So some behavioral ones and some cognitive ones. I think four behavioral ones, three cognitive ones. Yeah, absolutely. The first three um, are control stimuli, uh, associate selectively, and we call the third move. And what these are, um, you know, the first is we I alluded to a moment ago where I said, you know, we need to be gatekeepers in, in terms of what we allow into, into our brain. Um, a lot of people um, are struggling with this right now. They, um, they are carried along by information. Um, they, they, they're exposed to, um, they, uh, it, 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 it ends up changing how they think, how they feel, how they see themselves, how they see the world. So if you, if you can't, if you can't get this first fundamental principle about being able to control information and use it to your benefit, um, you're going to have very limited agency. And so we see that a lot with the conspiracy theory type thinking now. Um, people grasping for straws. They're, you know, they're 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 inventing things out of whole cloth because, um, you know, they're generally their brains are overstimulated. Um, so in any case, controlling stimuli is the first principle. The second, and, and this one is probably the most important of all the seven principles, it's called simply associate selectively. Um, but what that means is it means that whom you choose to surround yourself with, um, the, the key people in your life largely determine um, everything about you know, how you are going to exercise agency. If if you are around people who are not supportive, people who, who, whom you can't learn from um, people who, um, you know, tear you down or are, you know, belittling, or, you know, if you're not around people who um, help you to, to grow and develop, you're, 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 you're not going to have uh, a high level of agents. That's important. And then move is a bit of a misnomer. The third, the third principle, the uh, third uh, behavioral principle move has to do with really your entire physical body. So we call it move because movement is a, is a key component. But when we say move, it's really about paying attention to your physical self which is, you know, um, how do you eat? How do you sleep? How much movement or exercise do you get? Um, you know, how sedentary are you throughout the day? Um, it's paying attention to your physical self and trying to keep your physical body in good working order because that is essential to uh, an optimal level of agency. So those are the first three behavioral principles. All right, so I get those. I get the need to take care of the physical aspects of our body. I said to somebody today that you're trying to perform like an Olympic class athlete. So why wouldn't we adopt the prices, the practices of of a, a uh, Olympic class athlete? Which means we would sleep and we would be careful about what we ate and we would be careful about a whole bunch of things. 
but that's the level of which we're expecting to perform every day. So I get that physical part. That's a great point. Okay. And I get the associate selectively that if you're around people who are bringing you down, who don't have a growth mindset, who are not encouraging you, supporting you, learning with you, then that's going to bring your sense of agency down, your choices down, your sense of ability to take action down. I get that one. The one that I still think is less hard to get, is harder to get, is this control the stimuli. Okay, so, or the stimulus that are coming in. So you said someone controls the information that comes to them, not, and they control the information they use, get what they need, not letting the information control them. And granted, there's information coming at us from every single direction, from podcasts coming right, left, and center, the phones, text messages, Slack at work, emails, um, news 24-7 in 75 different channels. What does it mean, though, to control the stimulus? What are the best practices you've seen for people who control the stimulus? Yeah, good question. Um, Well, I think that the people, first of all, who control stimuli well, uh, they're very clear on what information they need the most in order to make the kinds of decisions they have to make. So whatever they're trying to do in their life, in their work, um, they know how to access the information they need to make that, make those decisions. And they, 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 they do, they do that. Um, so, so that's an, that's an important point. The other is that um, in terms of the more extraneous information that we all experience just living in you know present day society, um, they they know how to back away from that. So they, in other words, they make decisions about how they take in news. Um, you know whether it's business news, um, it's it's economic news, it's political news. Uh, they make choices there, and um, you know they they in other words they 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 generally go for information that's reliable. Um, they make a choice to do that. They, what we've seen in the pandemic is people with higher levels of agency are reading more, they're reading more, um, and they're watching less. So they're doing less video. I mean, we've moved to a, video, a completely video society because it's, it's just easier to consume information watching, you know, watching it via video. Um, but what that does is over too much of that actually um, is very is counterproductive because it overstimulates the brain. It moves faster. Um, there's usually a lot of visual stimuli associated with it. So when you read information, you take it in more slowly. You can pause. You can reflect. You can actually think about what you're reading, what you're learning, um, and uh, which you you don't have the time to do when you're watching a video. So, you know, those are just some simple, tiny little measures that people do in controlling stimuli. Um, they also ha- limit screen time. I mean, they don't, they're not on screen. They, they're aware, let me put it this way. They're aware of how much they're on their screens. And they know that it's important to back away and, and, and not be on a screen all the, all the time whether it's their phone, whether it's, you know, their computer. Um, so they, you know, they, 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 the, the other thing I'll just say on this is, you know, just, just in general, people who control stimuli well um, are aware of the balance between their analog and their digital um, habits. 
And uh, which is to say, you know, we still are analog creatures as human beings. You know, we, we, we're not, you know, we, we don't have um, chips inside our, uh, inside our brains. <laughs> so we are, we are still analog creatures. We need analog type experiences in our lives. So if, if people tip over into too much digital, um, it starts to overwhelm their, 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 their capacities. Uh, it's, it becomes counterproductive. So I think people who are, who, who are good at that principle, um, they, they operate in that way. Um, it's almost like eating too much. You know, if, 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 you know, they don't consume too much information and everybody has, you know, different habits, right? There's some people who, who automatically say no to information unless it's directly relevant to what they're focused on. There are other people who are intrigued by new information and um, love it and, you know, just, you know, gorge on it. And, you know, and it helps to know what type of person you are, because if you're the kind of person who, who, who limits it too much, you know, you might need to work on the um, opening yourself up a bit more. But if, you know, which, but if you are the other type, you really need to learn how to, to limit it more. Right. I see um, n- not just on the analog digital, but people who have a strong sense of agency who are leaders and really good at this are often saying, I don't need that information right now. I may yeah, need perfect. it later, but I don't need that detail right now. And it's something that um, someone lower down the organization who's absorbed by the detail and their job is to know the detail often get confused with why that executive doesn't want the detail. It's because it's not helpful to process in the midst of everything else that they've got to think about. That's just not useful. And they're really good at limiting that. It's another way of saying it as well. Good point. No, great point. And, and leaders, some of the leaders I've come across with higher levels of agency, they actually teach their, their teams um, how to bring information to them, right. um, which is to say, you know, most of them want it pre-filtered. They don't want raw data dumps. Mm-hmm. They want the information pre-filtered. They want someone to come in and say, here's the, here, here the, here's the primary data points. Here's what I think it all adds up to, what it means. And here's one recommendation on what we probably right. should do about right. it. You know, and then they can have a good discussion as opposed to just coming in and dumping all the data in the lap of, you know, right. th- that's, so that's a great example. Right. Right. It's one of the things I think that helps people get out of their comfort zone the most is when they learn to give up that need to have every single piece of information and data. And that's also going to increase agency, as you've rightly said. All right. So three behavioral practices, controlling the stimuli, um, associate selectively, who you surround yourself by and move the physical body, taking care of the physical body. Now, what are the four cognitive pieces that are going to improve agency? Absolutely. Um, the four cognitive principles um, are, are a little bit more challenging um, for people to master just because they, they involve our capacity to think and they involve you know, emotional intelligence. So the first one we call position yourself as a learner. And this one has to do with the general idea of first seek to understand mm-hmm. before you judge. So the idea here is um, when you understand better how you learn best as a person, because there are different ways that we all learn. Um, when you understand the ways that you learn best, uh, you know, the individual ways, you know, you can leverage those, those things better. So, for example, I work with some, ex- some executives who learn best 
through their interactions with other people. They learn almost exclusively through, you know, their, their, their contacts, you know, who they know. They have a ton of amazing advisors. I know other people, other executives who learn a lot through careful study. You know, they read, you know, copious amounts of, of, of information all day, all the time. There, you know, there are different ways that people learn. So when you understand how you learn best, um, you know, you also can understand how to position yourself to learn, you know, faster in your life. So this idea of positioning yourself as a learner is a very active thing. It's, it's, it's really challenging yourself to learn each and every day uh, and, and, and really be aware of how you learn. Okay. So that's the first one. Okay. Um, the second one we call manage your emotions and your beliefs. And this is probably the most challenging, um, I'm going to say, uh, one of the most challenging. And this is really correlates to emotional intelligence. It's, it's how do you understand your emotions? How do you process those emotions? How do you know when it's appropriate to act on your emotions versus not? Um, so it's really, so it's very important to be able to um, to, you know, kind of understand the role that emotions play in your thinking. Uh, but all, but in addition to that, it's, it's understanding the role that beliefs play. Human beings, you said it at the outset, Wanda, you know, we're, we're all, you know, we live through our stories. We tell ourselves stories uh, all the time. And it's just, it's how we are put together. It's part of our analog, you know, sort of nature to do that. And so, but some of those stories are very distorted. Um, some of them are not, but our beliefs are part of the story. Um, we're always constructing stories. Our brain is always construct, constructing stories and we come to believe certain things and we need to update those beliefs. Those beliefs need to be occasionally challenged. They need to be, you know, uh, put through their paces and they need to be updated occasionally. And a lot of people hold on to their beliefs. They, they, they confuse their beliefs with their values. Um, values tend to be unchanging. They tend to be, they tend to be much more consistent over, over time. Beliefs, in our view, should, should change. As you learn more, as you grow, as you develop, as you experience the world more, your beliefs should be updated. Um, a lot of people don't do that. They stay stuck in belief. In fact, it's one of the things I assess in leaders, business leaders, is... Um, you know, do they operate more from their belief system as leaders? And if they do, I, that I generally see that as a weakness, um, something that they need to deal with. Okay. So the 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 the, the third uh, cognitive principle we call um, engage your intuition. Now this is strange because it go, and I'll just say, look, the the last two principles go together: okay. engage your intuition and deliberate, then act. Those those two principles of agency go together and they really work in concert with each other because mm -hmm. they are they are fundamental to how we actually think through problems how we access our reasoning skills and how the, they're instrumental to how we actually make final decisions on things so intuition is important because through the work of daniel Kahn, and Amos Tversky, you know, the right. two psychologists who studied for 30 years how we actually make decisions as human beings, um, you know, they built on some of the, the knowledge that existed already. 
in, but in some very important ways. And one of the things they talked about is um, primarily human beings are intuitive thinkers. We use intuition to make most of our decisions. And yet most of us are unaware of that. And most of us are unaware of, of, of how to develop intuition, that it can be developed, that it's a learned skill. Uh, most people confuse intuition with emotions. Um, they're not exactly the same thing. So in this chapter, we talk about how to use emotion, how to use it, rather intuition appropriately, how to leverage it as a tool and use it to your benefits so to enable you to make better choices. Okay. Uh, and then the last principle is, is, is really about your more sort of analytical uh, reasoning skills. It's really about critical thinking. Mm-hmm. It's how do you use data? How do you do a deeper dive and actually pull something apart and logically reason through a set of data points? Um, it's more of that analytical part of our brain. It's what Kahneman and Tversky called slow thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the slower thinking, the more deliberative when we slow something down, pull it apart, look at its component parts. So ideally, as humans, we know with with higher levels of agency, we know when when to use our intuition to make the call versus when we need to slow down and and really, you know, more painstakingly logically reason through something and, you know, and and use every data point. So people with higher levels of agency do that. They understand when it's best to do which. And in reality, we use both of those things together um, in concert. We, we, We can use our intuition and our logical reasoning skills together. Um, and that improves our hit rate uh, dramatically in terms of the quality of our decisions. That makes a lot of sense. And there, and we could spend the next three hours talking yeah, about cute. how to do more, how to refine our intuition, understand what's driving it, separate that from the emotions, um, and see the different component parts that are going into that, as well as how to dig in for the more critical thinking. Something I think we could all use a lot more of. What I like about this notion is it is, as you said, a very balanced view of how a human being functions. So to increase agency, which again is our ability to take decisions and then to make actions on that decision so that we feel like we're having an impact in the world around us. We're moving the ball forward in some way, I guess is my way of saying it, that there are really seven practices that are going to make a difference in increasing our our agency. One is controlling the stimuli, what comes into us, what we consume from information when. Um, the second one is controlling who we associate with, in effect, being around people who are going to be nurturing, for lack of a better word, positive, uh, give us good feedback at the same time, but who are supporters and learners as well. Um, and then what we do with our physical body, keeping that balance in place. And then the last th- four have to do with our thinking. So see ourselves as lifelong learners with a growth mindset, borrowing Carol Dweck's recent, her work recently, and understand how I learn so that I position for people around me to bring me information in ways that I'm going to learn best, find those kind of opportunities. And then the fifth one is to manage the emotions and beliefs, understand what our emotions are, be able to manage them, recognize them, as well as understanding what beliefs, what stories we're telling ourselves and be willing to update those when they no longer suit the facts or the data, the situation, the experience. And then understand the intuition, 
how do we use our intuition and how do we find it? And then lastly is how do we use our critical thinking, our analytical skills, and more importantly, when to use the intuition and when to lean on the critical thinking. That those are the things that are going to improve our ability to make choices and take actions on those choices, which increases agency. That's exactly right. You got it. That's that that that's it. And um, when we are able to do those things, and they they by the way they work in concert with each other, so they support each other. And one thing I'll just make really briefly point is is um, you know a lot of people don't understand is our 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 physical bodies. So the move principle relates directly to managing emotions and beliefs because the, the, the great work done by Lisa Barrett, a psychologist uh, here in Boston at a Northeastern University who's done tremendous research in this area, demonstrates uh, most of our emotions actually come from our physical bodies. Right. Um, you know, so when our, phys- when our physical bodies are in better working order, our emotions are also working uh, better as well. Right. So really, we look at this book as 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 almost like an owner's manual to, you know, how, how to, how to, how to best function, how to best leverage all of the, right. you know, in inherent abilities that reside within you. Um, and that when you do these kinds of things, it's almost like getting, you know, getting a tune up and, um, you know, with your car, you know, when everything's working more smoothly, it just, you have a lot more horsepower, it gets to the road and it carries you along um, you know, better and faster. And so sorry for the car analogy. I'm a car guy. So all I right. Know. Sorry, we can do we can do with cars. It's okay. Um, this is a perfect point for it to take a break too, Paul, quite a lot there to digest for all those seven components. But the, the agency notion, again, is the idea about making choices and then taking actions on those choices. And why I think agency is such a powerful concept is when I have a stronger sense of agency, I think it leads to a stronger sense of feeling somewhat in control of my destiny, that I can do something to move my life or my work or my company forward. And it's that sense of I'm not the victim of, but I'm an actor in is for me why agency is such an important factor. Absolutely. It feels good. No, that, that simply put, it feels good when we access and express our agency. It's, it's generally when we feel most alive and most happy. Perfect. All right. My guest today is Paul Knapper. He's a leading psychology expert and executive coach in a company called Performance Psychology based in Boston. The book we've been talking about today is The Power of Agency. Now, when we come back, I want to talk about the polar opposite of what we just did, which is what impairs a sense of agency and a little bit more about how to prove your own. We'll be right back. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. 
This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement, and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Paul Knapper. The book that we've been talking about is The Power of Agency. And just a really quick recap, agency is that ability to take um, choices and then to act on those choices, in effect, to move things a step in some direction, hopefully forward. But occasionally we go backwards in order to go forwards as well, and I'll at least recognize that part. And it's the part that makes us feel alive, a little bit in... um, Control is a harsh word, but feeling like I'm taking action on my own behalf and I'm that's what feels good. Seven components to this control the stimuli, associate selectively, move, which is the physical piece, position yourself as a learner, manage the emotions and the beliefs, engage the intuition, and deliberate, then act. Okay, Paul, what happens when we don't have a sufficient sense of agency? When our sense of agency is low, what happens then? Well, people who have a low uh, level of agency often report feeling stuck in their lives. They, 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 feel, they report, um, you know, in some ways being uh, under-fulfilled. And, um, you know, that's just one of the basic things it can also get to the point where they just feel disconnected and uh, like they're going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also that they feel like they can't, they don't see their, they don't see a path out of that mm-hmm. for themselves. Um, so they feel a sense of power, a, a bit of a sense of powerlessness. So that is sort of the feeling on the inside when someone is having a low moment of agency. And let me just say, you know, I loved what you said early a minute ago, Wanda, the, you know, agency is not high, a high level of agency is not where you'll find yourself 
24-7 every minute of every day. I mean, your, your, your sense of agency is going to wax and wane throughout the day, but it's being able to kind of, you know, pull, pull it forward when you need it most. So, but when you don't have it, it is a, um, it's a very unpleasant feeling. Um, and a lot of people, um, believe it or not, you know, um, have been feeling some of that yeah. in, our, in our society, uh, you know, of late. So it's a, it's a, you know, feeling stuck, feeling thwarted, feeling like you can't find your way to get to a positive place. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough feeling. That's right. Well, before the pandemic, I was certainly seeing in my coaching clients and in the people that I saw in various training programs, an increased sense of declined agency, meaning they just feel stuck in the situation that they're in, that there's no action that they can take. They just have to live with the circumstances and they can't better the situation in any possible way. I was seeing a lot of that. We could debate why, but now pandemic, I think it's even gotten worse because some of your degrees of freedom for acting are limited. Some of the things that people used to do to re-energize themselves, to surround themselves by people that cared about them, to associate selectively, have been limited because it's harder to do. And I think that's taking a big toll on people. Absolutely. So um, you've said all along that having too much information, cognitive overload, can impair a sense of agency. What else impairs agency that you see? Well, you know, uh, why we're feeling, why we're experiencing cognitive overload has a lot to do with living at this particular point in history. You know, in case you haven't noticed, we're living through a time of profound disruptive change mm-hmm. on many, many fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a consequence of, of of many things, but in part, it's a it's a consequence of globalization. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a consequence of of maturation, maturation of you know Western societies. Um, there have been a lot of there, there there are a lot of, there's a lot of economic dislocation. To say so, businesses, industries falling by the wayside. Um, it's a time where people really, um, you know, can't necessarily grab hold of something that um, is there forever, right? It's it's so so change. You know, it, it's a it, it, it's so, so everyone is aware of that. Now, one of the consequences of that that affect agency is anxiety. We feel, as again, we're, hu- we're analog creatures, we feel anxiety when we, have, um, when we feel insecure, when we don't have certainty or we have great insecurity. How we've been living in the last 20, 30 years has created more insecurity. People don't feel like they um, can count on uh, something uh, being around long-term so they need to be on their toes each and every minute, which in some ways it can be exhilarating and it you know, can be a great learning opportunity. The bottom line, though, is we live in a highly anxious society. And a lot of people are completely unaware of this, which is always interesting to me. But I'll be really brief here. Um, because it's so important to our level of agency, um, first of all, the United States was, was rated by the World Health Organization as the most anxious nation on earth a few years ago. We have um, 20% of the population that carries a clinical diagnosis for anxiety disorder in the United States. 
Um, that's 20% of the population. There are many millions more who are undiagnosed. Um, so we're a very anxious nation and anxiety is contagious. It's socially contagious. So for most people, they're not even aware they're anxious because everybody else in their life is anxious. Now, anxiety, you know, a little bit of anxiety is fine, but over the long haul, anxiety erodes agency. And so we, 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 one of the reasons why we wrote the book is we wanted to not deal with the anxiety contagion uh, that exists in the United States through, you know, medication and through the standard sort of symptom management, but really go at that through building greater agency. So, but anxiety is a, is it, is an antagonist to agency and, and we have a lot of it in this country. So, so, so that's one, those are just some big picture kinds of things that are out there that um, can, can be, um, antagonizing or antagonist to agency. Um, but a lot of it has to do with how we live. And in some ways, if, if we just look to other people, to our right and to our left and see how other people are living and decide, oh, well, that must be just how we do it. You know, that limits your agency because most Americans are not very healthy people. <laughs> we have an incredibly unhealthy population in any, any way you look at it, that affects agency negatively in a big way. And so, you know, people have to educate themselves. They have to learn how, again, how to live in a healthier way, make healthier choices. And, and they can't necessarily just look to their right and to their left because the people around them may not be um, living in, in a way that promotes greater agency themselves. So anyways, that's, that's some of the things that impairs our sense of agency. I like that. So cognitive overload, the fact that there's so much disruptive change just driven, if nothing, by globalization and competition, uh, among a dozen other things that are going to impact us in economic dislocation and all sorts of accordingly. And then the level of insecurity and that there's so much I can't count on that perhaps 50 years ago we could have counted on and the increased levels of anxiety. That's That's, those are, those are a few big ones, yeah. Wow. Now I know why we need the book on um, agency. Absolutely, totally. Okay, I'm going to shift gears now. We don't have a huge amount of time, and I'm about to open a big can of worms. So we started this um, show talking about the hero journey and the sense of agency, and I told that from the point of view of hero. But I'm interested, are there differences in masculine views of agency and feminine views of agency? Are there differences in stories that we tell? Um, no question. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are differences. And, you know, I have been enjoying over the last 20 years just seeing that there have been more openings for, for women um, more acceptance of, 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 the, of the tremendous value, the leadership value that women bring to the equation. Um, because for so long, all of those hero um, myths were men. They were all sort of, you know, men. And, and a lot of them had to do with, you know, just uh, unfettered competition and uh, individualism, rugged individualism, you know, the Marlboro Man type of thing. And the reality is, the dirty little secret is, none of those men ever did anything completely on their own. They had people around them helping them. 
they the, the best ones among them, you know, collaborated to achieve what they achieved. Um, and so women bring to the equation some different skills, uh, or at least you know some skills that are that are more be- that are better developed than than men typically. I'm speaking generally, and um, but women have often felt less than, and they've been made to feel less than in a man's world. And I think that um, you know I- I've been seeing women in my practice making um, all kinds of strides. Um, to expanding their levels of agency and feeling more more powerful and achieving more, and uh, you know it's really been uh, you know gratifying to to to, to watch. Um, and so I think that you know we, but but I think to your point, there are differences. Women um, behave a little bit differently in general. They tend to be more collaborative um, and cooperative. Which guess what? That actually mm-hmm. produces better results. Right. Okay, because we live in a time. You don't need me to tell you this. We live in a time you know, where things are quite complex. Well, you know, it's not any one person who has all who knows everything and has all the right answers. If we don't, you know, we live in a world where collaboration is absolutely essential. And guess what? Women tend to be better at it. So, um, so there's a lot of things that, um, that I think women bring to the table, but, um, you know, I think they, they do when, you know, I've had many female leaders confide in me that they struggle. They struggle still to get, to gain acceptance at the top of the house, um, you know, because, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, some men just, you know, feel like there's one, there's only one way uh, right. to do things. So that's, so it still is a, it still is a problem. I, right. I see it. I still see it as a problem. One of my interests, just really briefly, I want to tease the subject and then I'm going to close it out. But my interest here is I think we define our sense of how we have greater agency by the stories we tell ourselves. And the stories we tell ourselves are usually evaluated by the stories we've seen around us. So the myth, the movies that we watch, the TV shows, the books that we read as children, the comic book heroes that we saw. And what's interesting is most of those are have the hero's journey, meaning the masculine version of going out and conquering something. And that doesn't fit everybody, male and female. It doesn't fit everybody. So we need other stories that help us have a different sense of agency. So I'm fascinated by additional stories coming to light now. Movies, um, cartoons, Disney has done a number of these, Pixar has done a couple of these, where we're starting to see different kind of characters exercise agency in the non-heroic way. And I should say, I think her first name is Margaret Murdoch, has done some very interesting work on this one in terms of the heroine's journey. But stay tuned, much more to come on this one. Paul, thank you. What a fascinating discussion. What an important topic for current times. My guest today, Paul Knapper, the book that we've been talking about is The Power of Agency. What's important about this is the sense that you can make a choice, meaning you have some choices to make, and then you can act on those choices. And that gives you that feel-good factor of I can do something to move myself to a better place. I'm not stuck as Paul said very carefully, I think that is front and center in being able to be resilient and be able to deal with uncertainty. 
And I certainly know it's inspiring when I see somebody who has that. Um, If you'd like to know more, please join us for our new subscription service, and we'll hear more details from Paul about exactly how to go about exercising this sense of agency. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 